things. You say the word worship, and it conjures up a series of, especially if you're a Christian, have been in church a lot, you kind of have, okay, worship is what we just did, right? We had people singing and band playing, and that was worship. Uh, so we kind of have a mental picture of what worship is, but I want to dig a little deeper than just that and, and talk to us today about what, what worship is and why it's important to live a life of worship. John chapter 4, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. We just finished out a couple of weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. This is a connection there, right? Because the Spirit of God lives in us, there's a connection that happens with God and us. And when the Father is looking for true worshipers, it's worshipers that are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Truth is the knowledge and understanding of who God is. It's the revelation that there is a God and that he has died to redeem us from our sins. And he gives us a hope for eternal life. So understanding that, those are two key ingredients. That's what the Father is looking for, those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. So what is worship? The best place to define any word is to go to Webster's Dictionary, right? To understand what the meaning of the word actually is. Words have a tendency to take on a shape of their own, right? We use them a certain way, and they conjure up a certain understanding. But when you really look at the definition of the word, it gives you a little more clarity as to what that actually means. So to, def- to define the word worship, it means this. Reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage to any object regarded as sacred. It means formal or ceremonious rendering of such honor and homage, adoring reverence or regard, the object of adoring reverence or regard. So basically, anything that you revere, anything that you put in a high esteemed place of honor... Your attitude and your demeanor towards that thing is what worship actually is. It's not a single act because we had a band up here and they were singing songs that worship God. That's not the only act of worship. It's not just a single act. It's more of uh, an attitude and a way of thinking regarding something that we hold in high regard, right? Um, Things that you value, you may not sit around and sing to them, (laughs) but you're not going to place them in a place where they can be damaged or destroyed, right? Because you have, it has value to you. You have uh, some, some reverence toward that thing. So it's not just worship in the sense of what we did in the worship part of our service, but it's more of a lifestyle. It's a bigger picture than that. In fact, I believe that woven into the fabric of our emotional makeup, our creator put into us the ability and the desire to show affection and attention and adoration to things that we hold in high regard. Hopefully you hold your wife or your husband in a position of high regard and you show them affection and you show them you value them by the way you treat them and the actions that you, you display towards them or your children, your family, whatever. Those, those, it's kind of woven into the fabric of who we are. So we understand we're kind of, we're kind of wired in a sense to have devotion towards things that we value. We're wired that way. God created us that way. And it's so easy that if we're not careful, if we don't live with the right amount of intentionality, we find ourselves getting that kind, of, um, that kind of approach to things that don't really matter so much, right? We get ourselves caught up in, in, in material things, and we find ourselves putting that in a place of high regard. And so in a sense, 
we start to demonstrate a type of worship to material things, right? Maybe you know somebody that it's not just their job, right? It's their life. And they've placed it in such a position of high regard that their family suffers for it and their relationships suffer for it because that thing has become such uh, an important piece to who they are that they're actually giving of themselves, their time, their attention, their affection towards this career or this job that they have. So it's, if we're not careful, it's easy to allow ourselves to shift our focus and we end up putting things into a place of reverence and, and high regard that perhaps don't really belong there. In fact, that is really the definition of what it means to worship an idol. No, it's not an image that you created or an icon or, or a statue or a figure, but if you place something in out of place and you put it in a place of high reverence and high regard and you find yourself devoted to this thing, it becomes a, a little G God in your life. Does that make sense? Not the capital G God, but a little G God, right? It becomes something that your life, the way you live, you begin to worship this thing. No, if I asked you, do you worship that? You say, Psh, that's crazy. But everything about your life says something different because you're demonstrating really where this thing or these things are and how you treat them and how you esteem them. So we have to be very careful in this life that we live that that our worship is not misdirected. In fact, if you look in the Old Testament, you can go to BibleGateway.com. Amazing tool, right? If you have version on your phone, you can do the same thing there. You just type in the word worship, and it'll bring up tons of scriptures that have the word worship in it. And you can just skim through those scriptures, and you can look at how many times in the scripture God is saying, a prophet is saying, a teacher, a speaker, someone is saying to people, be careful who you worship. Only worship God. Don't worship things. Don't worship... All through the, the building of the children of Israel, the, the separating of the children of Israel to become a chosen nation, they always struggled with getting misdirected on where their worship and loyalty lied. They would conquer a land and they would settle in that land. And then instead of just worshiping God, they would end up adopting the gods, the little G gods of that culture. And they would find themselves worshiping in the wrong direction. And it's always through scripture, this battle of this king worshiped God, capital G God. This king didn't. He worshiped little g gods. And the nation would sway back and forth because they were always misplacing their attention and focus in the place of reverence and worship. And you might think, well, how significant is that? Why is that important? If you don't think it's important, read some of the accounts in Kings and Chronicles in the Old Testament the nation would do well when it was worshiping God. And then the nation would do poorly when it was worshiping false gods. And God would bring judgment to the nation to try to straighten them out. And it was just a constant sway back and forth of mixed attention and misdirected focus and regard and reverence. It's very important. One of the things in the Ten Commandments is what? We're only supposed to serve and worship one God, not other gods, right? It's very important where we place our worship and so you may, not be, uh, you may not know anybody that has a physical idol that they kneel down to and pray to. Those people still exist. You may not know anyone like that. But I can assure you that you know people that worship little g-gods. And you can easily tell by the lifestyle 
that they live. So why is worship important? I want to give you four reasons why worship is important. Quickly today, four reasons. If you're taking notes, write these things down. The first one is this, gratitude for his supreme sacrifice to redeem us. There is no one that can do anything greater for you than to pay for the price of your sin. And there is only one that's able to do that, and it's Christ Jesus, and he's done that already. Every person in this room that has experienced the grace and forgiveness of God, worship should be something that comes naturally to us. Because if we think about what he forgave us from, if we think about what he saved us from, if we think about what could have been, but we were spared because of his grace, if we allow ourselves to look at the blessings that God has given us in our life, if we allow ourselves to, to take in the things that God has done through his grace in us, worship should be something that kind of flows out of us like a river. In fact, what does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? Out of your bellies will, show, will flow rivers of living water. That is what worship is about, right? Gratitude. When the, the scripture teaches us that, that sin is what ultimately separated us from God. When God first created man in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that in the cool of the morning, the cool of the evening, God would come to the garden and would walk with Adam. Imagine what that must have been like. All of us have only seen, Paul talked about it this way, looking through a glass darkly. Have you ever tried to look through a welder's glass? You can't see anything until there's an arc that's bright enough to penetrate the darkness of that glass. That's what Paul was describing. We only catch visions of God like looking through that dark glass and seeing a small speck of extremely brilliant light. But Adam was able to walk with God. And that's the way God intended it to be. But because of sin, there was a great gulf that was fixed. There was a brokenness that happened. But thankfully, God had an alternative plan. God had a plan for redemption. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2, Paul talking here, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to this, verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, Christ paid the price for your redemption. And for that very fact alone, worship should be something that comes naturally for you and I that have experienced it. It should come naturally. The thing that he goes one step further, he didn't just uh, redeem us from sin, but he clothed us with Holiness and righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is one of those scriptures that I feel like you need to read it and just sit in silence for a moment and contemplate the statement that's being made in that moment. He became sin for us so that we could become righteousness, so that we could, Im- we could mirror and reflect holiness. There is none of us that's holy. There is none of us that is righteous. But through the redemptive power of Christ, he made us righteous. That alone should cause worship to easily and naturally flow from our hearts. Do you agree with that? Amen. The second thing is to keep God in his rightful place in our lives. Worship helps keep God in the rightful place that he belongs in our life. What do we talk about when we define worship? A place of reverence and high regard. When you have that in your life, that is like a focal point. That is like 
your, your compass pointing to the, the magnetic pull of the northern field, right? That's a, a centralizing, directing purpose in your life. So if, if we understand what worship does in putting God in a rightful place in our life, it draws us and our focus to him. The psalmist said it this way. I love the way he wrote it. He said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Magnify means to make greater in actual size, to cause to seem greater or more important. In other words, the psalmist was saying this, why don't we focus on the greatness of God and less on the magnification of our problems? When we put God in his rightful place in our life, when we live a life of worship, we exalt God, we magnify him so that he becomes greater in our life than the problems in our life. When self-doubt and insecurities threaten to crush your dreams, if you put God in the center of your life, those things, those insecurities will begin to diminish as he becomes greater in your life. When we see all the, 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 the looming mountain in our marriage and relationships that are, that, are, that are broken and damaged, our job's not going well, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to worship. Why? Because it puts God in a place of magnification in our life over the problems that we're facing. When your addiction seems to be wrapping around you and pulling you down and you feel trapped and unable to escape, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to live a life of worship. Why? Because that is magnifying God greater than the problem that you have in your life. He begins to become larger than the issue or the problem or the hurt or the unforgiveness or the anger or the broken relationship. He becomes larger than the things that are pulling you down and you begin to see him as the one that can change the problem that you're facing. Instead of hearing you're a failure, you hear God say, you have value to me. You are important to me. You have purpose in your life. Don't listen to those doubts and fears and anxieties, but rather magnify God because he is greater in your life than those things. God can heal a marriage, but if all you're focusing on is the problems in your marriage and you're not magnifying God in your marriage, it's not going to correct itself, is it? The psalmist said it great, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let him be greater and larger and bigger in your life than all the troubles that you have. What if things are going great for you? What if you don't have any troubles? What if your life is perfect? Worship should be easy, but magnify God in your life because guess what? It's not you that makes that possible, is it? A moment in your life can be completely different. An aneurysm in your life is completely different. A stroke in your life is completely different. We do not own life, do we? We're living it by the grace of God. So no matter where you are, if you're having a hard time, if you're having a great time, worship God because he is the one that's to be magnified above all other things. Is that correct? Amen. The third thing is we worship him because he is holy. I get to work. I, I, I'm not a, a military guy. Uh, my grandfather was, served in World War II. I honor and respect our servicemen because they have an incredible task ahead of them. But I get, my job allows me to work around servicemen, and I find, it, I find them amazing. I love to go to, uh, we go to these operational centers where there's a lot of what we call green suitors that work in the building. And I love to watch how they function, and how their chain of command works. And I was very fortunate to watch uh, at one particular place I was at, they had um, a gentleman who had just re-enlisted, and so they had his re-enlistment re ceremony on the equipment floor at this building I was in, and I was able to stand in the back and just observe this ceremony, which was very somewhat insignificant in its pomp and circumstance, but yet 
everybody around there understood the magnitude of what it was and just valued what this guy was doing and his commanding officer was there and, and they had a flag that they were holding up and everything was just kind of spur of the moment, but yet all of the important things were happening, right? So it was really amazing to watch that. It was neat to see how that all unfolded. And, and I got to experience one time when, when a three-star was visiting uh, a certain demonstration that this team that I was working with was, was performing, and it was amazing. When the three-star walked in the building, people's posture just changed. You could tell all of the previous military men, their, their whole demeanor shifts. It's, it's almost imperceptible unless you're watching for it. Their, their stance changes. Their, their posture adjusts. Their attitude shifts. Everything changes. Why? Not because they love this guy. They may not even know who he is. It just simply changes because of the position he holds. Three-star walks in the door. You just adjust, right? You just do it. It doesn't matter if you hate the guy's guts. It doesn't matter. Any, it doesn't matter. His position merits your reverence, right? Do I need to say anything more? Psalms 29.2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalms 99.5, exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool for he is holy. Psalms 99.9, exalt the Lord our God and worship on his holy mountain for the Lord our God is holy. We worship him simply because who he is just demands it. It just demands it because of his greatness. He's clothed in holiness and perfection. And he does not lord it over us in a position that we are beneath him. But rather he chooses to embrace us and allow his holiness to drape itself over us and to bring us in as sons and daughters. That ought to just cause worship to just flow out of us, right? Because he chooses to overlook our mistakes, failures, faults, weaknesses, brokenness, and draw us in close and allow that love and compassion and holiness and righteousness embrace us. And finally this, finally this, why do we worship? We worship because we were made for this. We worship because we were made for this. There's no creature created that can make a willful decision to worship its creator. Except for the human race. Except for mankind. We were made for this. Nehemiah 9, 6. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens. Even the highest heavens and all the starry host. The earth and all that's in it. The seas and all that is in them. You give life to everyone. Everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You read the Psalms and you find that David would describe nature, and in his description of nature, he would call out things in nature as bringing praise to God, their Creator, out of their beauty and out of their substance and out of what they what they looked to be like. John one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3, listen. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, we were made by him for him. We were made for worship. We were made for this. We were created in such a way that God gave us the ability to choose right from wrong. He gave us the ability to make a decision. I will follow you, Christ, or I will not. He gave us the ability to choose evil over good. He gave us the ability to choose right over wrong. He gave us free will. And he, we are the only creature created by him that has the ability to make a decision and give worship to our creator. That is an amazing blessing and gift. And so many times we just misplace it. We just misplace it. And all of these things that God created for one purpose, you and I were created so that we could give glory and worship to the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's a lifestyle of worship that reflects what God has done in our life. You want to understand how to be a light in a, in a world that's dark. The way to do that is to live a lifestyle of worship. The way to let the Spirit of God be demonstrated in your life is to live a lifestyle of worship. What does that look like? Well, it looks like you always carry around your phone with your favorite praise and worship song on, and you have it playing out loud wherever you go, and you sing at the top of your lungs while you're shopping. That is not what it means. What it means is, in every instance, in every situation, there is always gratitude that can be given to God. In every circumstance, in every situation, there is always gratitude that can be given to God. If things are bad, there's still something that you can be grateful for. A life of worship is a life that recognizes there is a God, it is not me. There is a God and I owe everything to that creator. There is a God that has saved me, redeemed me, given me another choice, given me another option, given me hope. The Bible says that he has plans for me, that, uh, plans that have a purpose, an expected end, a place where I'm going, a place where I'm needed, a place where I make a difference. My life does not have to be waking up, going to bed, and existing in between. My life can matter because he says my life matters. So therefore, my life should be a life of worship in exaltation, in magnification, and glorification to a God that is gracious and kind and merciful. He's given me an opportunity to be light in darkness. He's given me an opportunity to be a word of encouragement to someone who's discouraged. He's given you the opportunity to share with someone who is, doesn't have an answer. You can give them the answer. Someone that is discouraged and depressed and feeling alone, you can be the friend. You can be the comfort. You can be Christ. You can point people to Christ through a lifestyle of worship. And that's what we're made for. We are made for this. We are created for this. In John 4, we read it. The Father is looking for true worshipers. What does that mean? People that can sing really well? No. That means people that understand who he is and have the Holy Spirit at work in their life. So every day they're living, they're mixing with people, they're building relationships, they're shining light in darkness. You don't understand the, magna, the magnitude of the life you live when you're following Christ. You don't understand the, 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 the power that resides within you when you're following Christ, when you've committed your life to God and you're walking with him and he's letting you be a light and he's letting you be an example and he's letting you breathe hope and peace and joy into people's hearts that perhaps don't get it. I'm passionate about this because I believe it's our calling. Amen. We're made for this. We're made to worship yes. our creator. A few weeks ago, during our, spirit, our series on the Holy Spirit, we talked about the work that the Holy Spirit does in us, and there was a purpose for it, right? 
We talked specifically about that purpose. And the purpose was so that the Father could be revealed in us. So the Father could be revealed in us. Think about it. The disciples walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They saw miracles that you and I would love to see. I mean, I don't know about you, but interrupting a funeral procession, a widow's only son was in the casket, and Jesus stops the procession and tells the mother, don't be crying anymore. Here's your son back. That's a miracle. Liking that, right? He saw all kinds of things. He took a loaf of bread and he blessed it. He began to break the bread, and the bread just never ran out. And he fed 5,000 men. The Bible doesn't even count the women and kids. There could have been 15,000 people there. Imagine. Imagine that. Imagine being in the, in the middle of the, uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm raging, and your little boat's not doing so well. You're taking on water, and you're not sure you're going to make it to the other side. And Jesus speaks to the storm, and all of a sudden, it's smooth sailing. Imagine seeing that. Imagine, imagine touching that person, being that close to the divine. And still, after three and a half years of that, right, they're sitting with Jesus, and they're talking, and they're saying... Would you just show us the Father? And Jesus is like, how long have I been with you? How many things have you witnessed? When you see me, you've seen the Father. There, I'm not, there's nothing, nothing else to show you. So imagine if they struggled with that. How much more difficult... Is it for that coworker that you've been talking to that doesn't really believe in God at all? Imagine that neighbor that you've been talking over the fence to for the last 10 years, and they know you go to church every Sunday morning, and they, you've talked to them about it, but they just don't quite get the God thing. Imagine how hard it is for them to believe if the disciples had a hard time. So when, when we talk about a lifestyle of worship and we talk about letting the Holy Spirit reveal the Father in us. Do you understand how amazing and how important that is? Because that is the example. That is the God that people are going to... That's why we talk around here a lot about the fruit of the Spirit, right? We talk a lot about this because we want... We want us all to understand and realize that... We're the Jesus that people are looking at. And a lifestyle of worship reveals that, reveals the The lifestyle of worship is the Holy Spirit in us being lived out so that people that don't know Christ can be drawn to him through the life that we live. Let me look at your neighbor and say, you matter a lot. You matter a lot. Worship is the outward manifestation of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work in us. 
Worship says, my life may not be perfect, but I'm grateful because Jesus is walking with me and making me better. Don't, don't ever think that worship is I've arrived and you haven't and I'm living up here and you're not. No. Worship is my life's not perfect, but I'm holding on to a hand that has promised never to leave me or forsake me. Uh, worship says, yes, my marriage has problems, but we're praying, we're following, we're believing, and the Holy Spirit is making each of us better. That's what worship says. That's what a lifestyle of worship is. Worship says, thank you, Jesus, that even though I fail, I am not a failure. Even, someone hear me, even though I fail, I'm not a failure. Because you said that I have been chosen, I've been redeemed, I'm loved, and I belong to you. That's what a life of worship is. That's what a life of worship is. A life of worship says, my life is fantastic, my job is great, I'm happy, I have plenty, I don't need anything. And it's all because of the grace of God my Savior, and I'm committed to Him in plenty or in want. I'm committed to Him because He's never failed me. He's never forsaken me. Do you have problems? Of course we have problems. Do you have difficulties? Of course we have difficulties. My favorite scripture in the whole Bible, I've said it so many times here. Jesus talking to His disciples said it this way, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. A lifestyle of worship is not a lifestyle of perfection. It's a lifestyle of grace being lived out in front of people that are looking for an answer for their questions. A lifestyle of worship is a life that says, I don't have everything the way I want it to be. It's not perfect, but I know that God is ordering my steps. A lifestyle of worship is a life that says, I may not have everything together, but he does and I'm following. A lifestyle of worship is going back a few weeks ago when we were following the leader. You guys remember that? Following the leader, the principles that Christ laid out in front of us. That's what a lifestyle of worship is. It's about taking one step after the next and saying, you know what? Grace will sustain me because greater is he that is in me than he that's out there opposing me. I've been chosen. I've been called. I've been redeemed. I've been given grace. And that's what a lifestyle of worship is. Why worship? Because it's what tells the story. Why worship? Because that's what people are looking for. Why worship? Because he's worthy of it. Why worship? Because we are made for this. We are made for this. Stand with me, please. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you are made for this. Look at your other neighbor and say, you were made for this. We were made for worship. We were made for worship.